Welcome to the Get Social Dublin Invest in Your Community podcast series. I'm Michelle Acharity and in this series we'll be telling the stories of a number of social entrepreneurs in Dublin and the people they support. Why they started, what gets them up in the morning, what their biggest challenges are and why they need your support. Social enterprises are businesses that use their profits to improve the lives of people and create positive change in the community. Doing business with a social enterprise means you're making a real difference. To show your support for this podcast series, share your purchase or interaction with a social enterprise in Dublin on social media, along with the hashtag GetSocialDublin. This project was approved by the government with support from the Dormant Accounts Fund. In our second podcast of the Get Social Dublin series, we're discussing all things inclusive and if inclusion and diversity is part of a new paradigm shift and if it is making any difference in the lives of the people that really matter. I would like to welcome Linda Blake, CEO of Aspire, the Autism Spectrum Association of Ireland and Aspire Productions, and Miriam Spallum, founder of Connection Arts, to chat to us about this. Linda, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, So I'm Linda from Aspire. Uh, As you just said, Aspire is the Autism Spectrum Association of Ireland. It was established over 26 years ago, and uh, we support people on the autism spectrum. So we have a social enterprise and that's called Aspire Productions. And that's actually what's got me seated here today. Um, Aspire Productions started actually in 2015 um, out of a programme that was run by Aspire, a career development programme. One of the first projects that they worked on was to create a documentary to promote the understanding of autism, the experience of people in the group, in the autism group and the unique talents of this group. Uh, It was such a huge success that um, they got the backing of Inner City Enterprise and they made the ambitious decision to create a social enterprise. Uh, and that was Aspire Productions. So in 2018, they got funding from Pubble and the group have gone from strength to strength since. Uh, COVID obviously had a big impact on us, but um, we're still there. We're still standing and uh, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you. And Miriam, if you could please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Miriam Spallon and I'm the founder of Connections Art Centre. Connections was established in April 21. Um, we're an award-winning not-for-profit social enterprise that provides arts, lifestyle and training programmes where the wider disability community can learn, grow and connect through the arts. All our programmes are designed and led based on the needs of the participants and are hosted by experienced facilitators. Part of our mission is to empower members of the disability community to develop their skill sets and take the next steps towards meaningful employment. So to date, we have supported over 500 members of the disability community through a range of diverse programmes, through arts programmes like drama, music and art, and training programmes that include IT programmes and train-the-trainer programmes. We have collaborated with organisations such as Enable Ireland, Down Syndrome Dublin, Spina Bifida Ireland and more. And I'm delighted to say we have secured premises in Rekgar, which we will be developing over the next five years. Great. Thank Thanks. you. So often I'm hearing that people who are neurologically different to most of the population are thinking and seeing the world differently. And for a lot of children, we try to identify this as a superpower. And then we give examples like Greta and Turnberg and Richard Branson. But having communication and learning style differences can also be make your life extremely complicated and can be a big barrier to finding full-time paid employment. I'm wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I suppose for a lot of our community, the autism community, things in daily life can be very overwhelming. And so what a a neurotypical person can find standard and and have no issues around, something like using the train or the Lewis, somebody who's neurodiverse can find it really overwhelming. 
um, and they they might need to cope in different mechanisms, so even such as stimming. And I suppose as a community, it's seen as, as something different, that there's something odd when you see somebody stemming, but really it's really natural for somebody to stem. So I think we need to step into their world rather than uh, their, them stepping into ours. And what do you think as a society we can do and that often people are saying, oh, well, I, I don't know somebody or I don't know what to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. How do you think if your call to action was, how do people educate themselves so that we make it a more inclusive society? Yeah, that is it. That's it exactly is we need to educate ourselves. And uh, from even from the lower levels, from school age group, you know, we need to be doing training. We need to be incorporating it into the classroom. We need to make it, you know, a standard practice that everybody knows about neurodiversity and the different types of people and that we're not all expected to be the same. And whatever way we cope or our mechanisms for coping, that that's okay. And that it's not seen as different or, you know, that there is those little outlets, whether it be a sensory room, a school or, you know, in the office space, you know, a quiet space to go to, that people can step back from the, the environment if it gets too much. So that we, we in the working environment and schools, we need to create the space for people that are neurodiverse um, to, to regulate themselves in those environments. Thank you. And Miriam, to move the dial, Part of this campaign, we've been looking at how we need an increased awareness and understanding of neurodiversity and community building at an industry level. What kind of programs are you thinking about at this moment in time that may help? So we're just piloting um, a new program called Creative TY Connections. And this is a um, really exciting initiative because what we're doing is bringing young members of the disability community together with TY students. And they are, it's a peer learn, uh, peer-led learning program. So they're upskilling for employment. Um, so we're, it's all through a creative process because it's much more accessible learning um, format for members of the disability community. So they are going through um, drama workshops, film workshops. And while they're participating in this, they're also being supported with online learning. And at the end of the programme, they are coming out, having developed their interview skills, their CV, um, also um, a video CV because for a young member of the disability community, their CV might be quite sparse, but it's you want to meet the person. So that video CV gives um, a potential employer an introduction to the person. But it's not just about that. It's about breaking down so many barriers. I mean, there's some young um, TY students who had never had a conversation with a member of the disability community before. And I, I, I just, I, I wish I could bottle the atmosphere in the room and the outcomes from that program, because it was just amazing to see the interaction and the peer learning and the support. And it's about that, bringing people into the community, breaking down those barriers and giving people a safe, inclusive space to learn from each other. So that's one of the programs we're running at the moment. Thank you. Um, so do you think it's community building through allyship? Is that what we're looking for? Pardon? Do you think it's community building through allyship? Do you think that works or do you think that's only by, by saying, OK, we do this program, but then what about the funding? What next? What's your next obstacle that you see? Well, for us, it's about the funding really is the obstacle. We have the members of the disability community. We have the TUI students. We have a space. What we're looking for is uh, corporate sponsorship or partners to work with us to um, develop this program. So we have different sponsorship options. So people can sponsor one program. They could sponsor four programs. I plan to run four programs in Dublin next year. But we're also looking for people who might be interested in volunteering with us who would become our IT facilitators who would support classes or who would help us develop our online learning platform as well. So there's so many opportunities around that. But definitely, like everybody else, funding is the problem. (laughs) And typically, would people engage with you from if it was a corporate? Is it somebody that would say, my brother, my sister, my, you know, is it something that's close to their own heart that you think they tune in more to what your social enterprise, what your social mission is? 
or so far in your experience, how has it been when people have reached out to try and support? Has it been that, is it just they heard about social mission or is it something that on a personal level has appealed to them? Yeah, it's very much personal level, you know, to make that connection. And I suppose even with uh, with us, when we, when we get jobs and when we're looking for people, we're looking for, for that change from, you know, the seeing that we are a social enterprise and that we have that community feel of us and that we're trying to create better opportunities and employment for people on the spectrum. And that's why it's good to hire someone like Aspire Productions because they're giving back while hiring us and they're getting their product, but they're also giving back to the community. And how have, in, in trying to establish and in trying to achieve your social mission from a collaboration and a community building, how has that worked for you? What has been the essential networks or what has made, you know, that often seems like an insurmountable task ahead? What have been the crucial stakeholders or partnerships or what have you found the most beneficial of your advice in other social enterprises? Yeah, I absolutely think collaborations are essential. Because you can't do everything and you're looking, you know, when you're trying to get into certain areas, um, like we've partnered with Special Stern and they help us with career development for our trainees or people that come on board with Aspire and Aspire Productions more importantly. And we work with them and they develop their skill set and, you know, it might be even, it might be something simple like um, emails, you know, understanding that you have to respond to emails and the layout of an email and how you put it together that they might just, they might just missed those steps along the way. And that partnership, you know, it, it's, it's just essential in, in building those skills and they're linking in with another organisation. So we're benefiting each other, but that person is linked in with two organisations now. So they have the backings of two supports um, and it's creating those support systems and, you know, that network for people so that, they, you know, next time they're having these issues that they can re-engage and that we're not just dropping back entirely. And, you know, even for, I suppose, Aspire as, as an organisation, as a charity, like things like parenting programmes, we can't possibly take on the level of a parenting programme on our own. So we need to link in with somebody and we need to get their specialised skills in that area. So that's why I think partnerships is, is the only way forward. Absolutely, I agree, because what we're hearing a lot in the social enterprise space within Ireland is about duplication, that people are trying to very careful to say, this is my area of specialisation. And even if I have, we've often had social enterprises that will contact and say, look, I'm doing this. Somebody's approached me with this. It'd be a wonderful offer, but I don't want to. I want that will be mission drift. So instead, can I work with a partner to achieve this rather than me also trying to, you know, provide that service or sell that product? Miriam, how have you felt in collaborations? And well, For us, the big engagement was working with individual disability organisations. So getting people like Enable and on board and Down Syndrome Dublin, people who real, recognise that we're a social enterprise and that by supporting us, they're helping us to in turn support the wider disability community. And it's getting that word out there. So really engaging with the disability community, finding out what their needs are as well, so that when we develop the centre, the physical centre, that we're developing a centre that is responding to the needs of the community. So it's very important for us to have them actively engaged in everything that's happening. And I mean, we are we're providing a service that they need, but as a social enterprise, they're helping us to build and support the community. Yeah, and, and I just like to, to reiterate that, like that's the, that change from the transactional piece to the emotive piece. Um, and in getting corporate funding or corporate people involved in that. But also we've had working with other social enterprises and doing trainings with Intercenter Enterprise. It's given us that opportunity to link in with each other. And that's been that's been phenomenal. You know, we've made so many connections and we've created a WhatsApp group where we can link in with each other. We can promote each other's piece or whatever we're working on. But even I made a connection with uh, Sinead from Little Fitness and she's come on board now with Aspire and she's helping us create a programme. And it's only started this week on. Um, and it's been great, you know, that we're using another social enterprise, we're using that initiative and we're linking in together and we're creating employment for each other. It's a fantastic opportunity. Yes, I totally agree that we've been trying to encourage as many social enterprises to be aware and to encourage each other to work with each other. 
but also then there's other parts to play for traditional enterprises or larger corporates. And if what are the main challenges that you are finding? I know that, you know, the pandemic has had such an impact on so many social mm-hmm. enterprises. What in the year 2022, what are you facing? What are your day-to-day struggles that you would like support with? Yeah, I suppose for us, we're quite unique in the sense that we support the autism community and we closed our head office during COVID. Um, it was just a decision we had to make. We couldn't afford the funding of it. And, you know, we hadn't the staff to go into it anyway and we were, we were paying for an office in, in the city. So that was a big decision for us. And with the closure of the head office and everybody working remotely um, and our community, you know, it, it was really challenging with COVID and, you know, the, I suppose the scare factor around COVID um, and a lot of them recluse and it was really difficult. And so really, even now we're kind of finding it quite difficult to re-engage, you know, and setting up the, a safe environment for them to come back to, you know, to even be testing um, on, a, on a production piece. But we have, um, we've worked really hard on getting to the next stages but yeah, that's, that's been really difficult and our, our community to re-engage them and to get them back up and working and to feel comfortable in the, their environment. So we've really struggled in that department. And Miriam, how have you found the experience? Well, we only launched in the middle of COVID, so it's been a different experience for us. So um, we launched as a reaction to COVID and we went um, and online and developed online programs to support the disability community. So it was quite a positive experience for us as in we connected with a whole new community and helped us build that family really that connection that when we moved to our physical centre they followed us which was really really great and it was it helped us to get our name out there so um as positive as COVID can be I suppose and we we managed to get our space then you know as soon pretty soon after COVID finished and start our in-person programs you know we also a lot of our programs we do are online and what we found it with during COVID was um we had probably underestimated a lot of members of the disability community as in their engagement with online but they got the support and the help they needed to get online. So we were able to connect with an awful lot more people. We're running um, a program at the moment called Connecting Artists 2022. So we have 10 young artists with intellectual disabilities from all over Ireland connecting online. And they're going through a 10 week program developing their artwork. And that's going to accumulate with an exhibition in the Royal College of Surgeons. And before COVID, we probably would never have even taught to do something like that. So it's been amazing. And to see um, those artists supporting each other and uh, people getting behind them and supporting them and seeing them as artists. And that's who they are at first. They're artists. You know, it's just um, it's really exciting to see this happening. You know, so it's been a lot of plus for us during COVID. So you've turned a crisis in that way into an opportunity because it's something that you perhaps wouldn't have considered before. And then you were forced when you had no other options. Absolutely. I and mean, how for those artists, what has that experience? And when you're talking to them across the country, because before the same thing, it would have been that we were looking at it in a physical and geographical and we would have limited it where, yeah. you know, it's a complete different option that you present them with. How have they felt throughout that experience? Um, again, if you could see the group working together, the peer support and we have a WhatsApp group that they're all members of. And they're sharing their artwork, they're sharing their experiences, they're sharing their days. And, you know, we have some of those um, people have opted to now f- facilitate little workshops as part of the program. So they're becoming the facilitators. And it's just the confidence building, you know, and believing in themselves. It's just, it's amazing to see that peer support come together. Yeah, it's, it's I'd say for, you know, they really are a group who really, really want to stay together. And we're hoping we can continue to support that. And again, we're hoping to launch Connecting Artists 2023 and, and support a whole new cohort of artists because um, the impact is so far reaching. I mean, from talking to parents of the participants, even one mother who was telling us her story and how it has helped her so much um, um, because she had recently lost her husband and another lady was saying about 
her son is, um, is an amazingly talented young artist and she said sometimes she would have a hard time trying to encourage him but now he's really looking forward to it. He's getting himself set up and he's sitting down and he, I mean, got the artwork that guy's um, creating and it's just amazing to see what can be achieved, you know, and again, you know, and none of this would have happened. I mean, I was working away in a job, COVID hit and um, I lost my job overnight and this is all a reaction to it. So it's, um, it's all been as positive as I say COVID can be, you know. And from those, like, the obvious successes, as in, that's exactly what I was going to ask you, you got to my next question, was around that multiplier effect that often we're looking for this ripple effect in society that by helping. So you've mentioned one would be that it's more like a train the trainer. So by bringing these artists, you've given them the confidence and the inspiration yeah. to, to then think about doing something maybe within their own area that they'll work with other artists, but then also that impact on a family that is found by having that additional yeah. outlet and support and some options and giving hope because often in situations when people feel that they have no control or they have no hope of the situation. What would you be for social enterprises like yourself? What would you like to highlight to the general public to how they can support you in, in general? If we're this whole campaign to get social government is promoting awareness of social enterprises and of their social impact. Mm-hmm. So what would, what would help both of you through the rest of this year? What's the most important? What's your biggest barriers? Well, I suppose for the autism community, there's 85% of people on the autism spectrum are either underemployed or unemployed entirely. So it's the likes of hiring people, you know, and it's, it's the interview process. The interview process doesn't actually meet the needs of a person on the autism spectrum. So it just doesn't suit them. Everything about the interview process is the exact opposite of what a person on the spectrum needs to, you know, to show off their skill set, to show what their capabilities are, to show how talented they are and creative. And we have such amazing, amazing people that are on the autism spectrum. You know, 60% of people on the spectrum actually complete college, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's I suppose, the stereotyping that we have um, as a community that we don't realise the skill set that's there. And I suppose what we need is, is for the interview process to change, you know, look at other skill sets, you know, maybe look at portfolios, take on a different technique, you know, look at it in different ways or avenues rather than the person sitting in front of you in front of a panel of people that just simply doesn't work. Um, creating more neurodiverse working environments, um, you know, just taking the opportunity to get to know people that are on the spectrum. And uh, and are there any good examples that you'd have and say, I would have looked at Made by Dyslexia in the UK and they had said that no longer would they expect people to fill in these very long forms and go to certain kind of interview panels mm-hmm. and that if they really were going to be true to what they were supposed to be themselves, that they would work with educating employers and inclusive themselves as to how people could. So often it was a video or recording, but they also helped in giving support to how to do that recording in order to apply for a position. So are there things that you're thinking, like, is it in general that we're calling out to, to general, to all HR, to all employers to really think about their interview process and look and see if it is neurodiverse friendly? Like, is it actually because often, you know, people can think they're helping mm-hmm. and it's not just one homogenous group. Each person in their own individual way may be neurodiverse, but equally may like certain kind of interviews. And is it finding a different way that we're meeting people at their level? Yeah. Um, and I suppose it, there's very much the saying is if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. They're not all the same. They're very different to each other, you know, and the different traits and, and the different things that they might do, completely different. So it's just about supporting the individual and that person. So it might even be a case of looking at asking the person, well, what kind of an interview process would suit you best and giving maybe that option. But also it's not just, it's not just that, impl- that interview stage, even gaining the, the job, that's fine. 
but it's retaining the job. That's another piece in itself. So it's providing those supports for people. Um, and even uh, Spark Productions is working on a really exciting piece with Screen Skills Ireland or Screens Ireland. And it's around um, creating a, um, a, 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 tra- a training program almost for, for people in the industry that they'll do this training uh, before going on set on neurodiversity and the working environment. So to help support the other people on, on their set that might be neurodiverse. So you think it's not only about we're not just calling out to employers or to members of HR. It's actually if you're working to be more aware of your colleagues or potential new colleagues that rather than judging to maybe look for the reasons that they may want to work in a different manner. And that I know a lot of people have said back to me the whole since the pandemic, the open plan. And that's very stressful for a number of people who are neurodiverse. And so people haven't thought in the planning, haven't thought about that, how stressful that might add in a factor and so they'll find other reasons to resist going back to the office or whatever else so is it that as society in general we need to open our minds and open the conversation yeah see how we can make a more inclusive society for everybody yeah and miriam how how have you found this what do you think from from an employment side well i suppose for me i always think of my own experience in school and it wasn't exactly um i wasn't exactly the star student that way of learning just didn't really work for me and then when I went to art college, I found a whole new way of learning and I thrived. I mean, I did, I wouldn't say I struggled in school, but I had to work very hard to get where I, I got to. But it's it's looking at other ways of learning and opening up those. I mean, even I went back to Trinity and I did a postgrad in creative cultural entrepreneurship and it was like a whole new, a whole new world to me. And I think we really need to open it, um, our minds about the way people learn and that everybody like that, everyone is so different. And everything we do is based on learning true creativity. It's making learning more accessible people, for people. And that's really what we're trying to do is make the world more accessible to everybody, really. And I think that's where people need to open their minds to that, that we're all, uh, like you said, we're all different. Everybody is so different. One autism person is one autism person, you know. And outside of Ireland, is there something that we're a very small island and it, sometimes it can work very well that we can replicate ideas right across the island? Are there other entities or social enterprises that you're seeing inter- on an international basis that you think are doing better at this? Is there something in Ireland that we need to be doing that we're not doing? If we were calling out to policymakers or as a public procurement, is there other ways as well that we could perhaps in order to allow social enterprises like yourselves true and be able to scale? I would say the big thing for small social enterprises kicking off the ground is actual wages to cover the cost. I mean, so we need to be paid. Our our time needs to be valued, you know, for, I mean, I work, my husband will probably tell me it's a 60 or 70 hour a week, you know, on minimum pay. And I worked for 12 months with no pay, you know, so it's supporting those people who really, really want to do this, who want to get it off the ground, making it accessible for them, give them steps to, to try to pull these programs together and, and push, you know, get them off the ground. It's, there's that gap, you know, just to get them up and running um, to develop their social enterprise, to develop that sustainable income that needs to be supported. I mean, our, our, our goal is to be a sustainable social enterprise. We have different income streams lined up. We have our in-person programs, we have our online programs, we have our gallery and gift shop, which we're hoping to develop further as well. So we are trying to build our sustainable income. But right now, the first 12 to 18 months, it's, it's been very, very tough. And to have some sort of support in place for that would have made such a difference. Mm. So you're looking at your business model in that what you're saying is for fledgling and then startup social enterprises that they need core salaries to be looked after in order to give them the time to actually establish themselves, to pivot, to pilot their ideas and see what actually is working and then to be able to box in how you will make the actual revenue. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think as well, like that, it's absolutely, it's staffing. You know, it's resources are really difficult to come by and good quality staff, you know, that you, you can hire somebody and give them a proper wage and that you're not kind of saying come in on a voluntary basis or I can't guarantee you this, but I, I can give you so many months. It's really hard then to get staff on board to agree to come on for that. And, um, you know, we, we even hire trainees that we bring in and we try and give them them jobs and positions. But it's just really difficult to get that, that finance. And then if you're applying for grants, you might come up with this really good programme that's really, really good. And on paper, it looks fantastic. But to get that funding, you're applying for grants and grant applications are massive. They're not a quick piece of work. You know, you're spending weeks gathering the information. You might have to go training evenings to get to the stage where you can, where you can apply for the grant. And then you've got all these stipulations and you're constantly back and forth. But you're spending most of your time doing the paperwork around it rather than on the ground working on the piece that you, you applied for in the first place. So there's, there's challenges all the time. You know, it's not made easy for social enterprises to get by, to get the funding and get the project off the ground. So you'd probably, what you're thinking is if it was the process for all these applications was simplified, you yeah. have more visibility in the timelines. And perhaps if you're looking at things like multi-annual funding, where you knew if each year, and then I know both of you, when we were talking separately about funding, mm-hmm. had mentioned, that, you know, even knowing, am I eligible for this again? Or yes. can I not? Or is this one I shouldn't apply for again? And is there other ones? And then about the, how you're incorporated. And if you have charitable status, how it can mean that you're not eligible for mm-hmm. certain and if it was a universal application as well. I mean, most of them are asking the same questions, but in different formats and different word counts. <laughs> like if you could make it, you know, as much as you can set questions that like they're asking the same thing, really. But and set word counts, even something as simple as that would make such a difference as opposed to having to edit every time, you know, your impact. One time they ask you for 100 words, next time it's 500 words. <laughs> and would it be an idea around, say, I know there's GDPR and other challenges, but if it was something around where you are happy to give permission for a certain amount of your data to be shared, and then it's just uploading whatever needs for, for each fund or application that you add in the new material. Absolutely. But it's, if yeah. it's something that you've already project. filled in multiple times, that's already there. So maybe if there was a centralized, even if somebody was to hold that mm-hmm. data, it's, it's something to save you because what you're what I'm hearing is that it's you're trying to work on the business, but then if you're spending your time with all of these funds that you're not already, you're not guaranteed in any shape or form that you'll actually receive the fund, in which case it might be X amount of time yeah. spent on that when there's no guarantee of actually getting the fund. Yeah, you're lost in paperwork and governance and compliance. And it becomes really challenging then to actually do the job because okay. you're, you're under resource in the first place. So, you know, it's you and a small team, a very small team, very intimate team, you know, and then you might have volunteers or trainees or whatever it be. But you, you're, you're not running, you're not able to do the actual work because you're just caught in paperwork. So that would be, so that's a major barrier that you're both finding is yeah, the amount of time absolutely. that you'd spend on trying to fill in applications and for, for grants. And overall, how do you think we can raise awareness of the social enterprise sector in Ireland? What, what would you be saying as in on a day-to-day basis, you're constantly questioned, oh, what do you do? What's your social mission? What is the mm-hmm. social enterprise? What would you be asking from the sector? What do you what do you feel we could get the message out to create the awareness of what a social enterprise is and what their social mission is and how the, the business model works? Yeah, I suppose inclusiveness, that we're inclusive with other, other social enterprises, that we're, we're linked in somehow and whether kind of that we are separated and, and put together a bunch or, you know, that if we're working in the same kind of sectors that we're linked in, because it's, it can be a lonely place, you know, when you're trying to do these things. And if you're linking in with other, other social enterprises, you're bouncing off each other and you can work on projects together. Like I said, we're working with Little Fitness at the moment. But it's just to create that community, a solid community, rather than you hear, oh, there's a social enterprise down there, but I don't really know them. You know, just to make those links and connections and help us create them and those bonds that we can, we, I'm sure we could create something much greater if we were able to work together. 
Yes. So, yeah. So I know that like look, it's through a training and mentoring program mm-hmm. that actually doing the media and PR training for the Get Social campaign that you had met Little Fitness. Yes. So it's through opportunities like this. And I know the pandemic had made it even more difficult because a lot of it was on Zoom. So that it's actually understanding who else is in the space or who else you can collaborate. They may not be the same social mission, but yeah. there may be other opportunities that you can work together. And Miriam, would you feel, what do you feel? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, collaborating with social enterprises is, is definitely what we would like to be doing. And um, let's say developing our shop now, our online shop and our prints for our exhibition, we're working with Trees Press, who are a social enterprise as well. So they're going to do printing for us. But it's also around, I suppose, the state recognition of social enterprises and, you know, acknowledging what they do as well, that side of it as well. Um, I, it's very hard to figure out. I suppose there's, I'm only, I'm only 12 months into this and I'm meeting new social enterprises all the time. But now what I'm really trying to do is every time I'm, I'm trying to, I have to outsource something, I'm looking for a social enterprise. And I think that's the big thing that social enterprises will really need to support each other. So that's what I'm going to try and do from now on is anything that has to be outsourced to try find a social enterprise first. As so my you'd first find option. a national directory would be mm-hmm. of benefit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. And I suppose that advertisement of it, that this is the national directory, that, you know, what a social, so the, the community or people in general know what a social enterprise is and the benefits of it, that it's not that we're not generating an income, that, it's, that we're bringing it back into the community and we're trying to support as many people as possible with whatever income comes in so that, you know, that the motive is there. Like, like I said, that transactional piece that it's it's gone to an emotive piece then. You know, you can see what what people are benefiting from you using the social enterprise and, you know, creating that awareness around a social enterprise and wh- why people should use them or work with them. Thank you. I'd like to thank Linda and Miriam for highlighting inclusiveness and diversity and how it's imperative that we all take action. It's a it's a individual and societal obligation and we need to try to understand neurodiversity and how we can live in a more inclusive society. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Get Social Dublin, Invest in Your Community. If you'd like to listen back to any of our episodes, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.